0: Father, we first give thanks. As your word says, we're to give thanks in all circumstances, at all times. Thanks that you have called us, you have redeemed us. You have given us a hope and a future. And Father, for all of us who are here, if we are stubborn, recalcitrant, unmovable, When it comes to the things of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would soften us, Lord, that we'd listen to your voice, that we'd move forward in righteousness and goodness, and we'd forsake that which is evil and wrong and unjust, knowing that as we perform these things, we will be witnesses of you. So as we go through your word and we see that Paul is giving a defense for his faith, There were also others who resisted him and would not change. Give us wisdom in this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul was being a witness. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, he was before King Agrippa, and before that he was for Festus, and before that he was for... um, excuse me, not Agrippa, but Felix before Festus. And he was given permission as he appeared before King Agrippa to speak and make his case in his own defense. Now the Sadducees were stubbornly unwilling to listen to Paul or accept the gospel. Governor Felix didn't want to hear anymore. Remember that? When Paul would come in, he would talk about righteousness and judgment to come. And he goes, okay, that's enough. He didn't want to hear any anymore. Because he was fearful inside. He was being told what lies ahead for him and everybody else. So I'm going to back up just a little bit to verse 6. And Paul says, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised. This is chapter 26 of the book of Acts. What God has promised our fathers and that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises from the dead? And I gave you examples of God raising people from the dead. And Patty pointed out, well, I probably need to clarify what that means. I said resuscitates. They were dead and they brought them back to life. And so the word resuscitate in this context means bring them back completely from the dead in the body that they possess resurrection is bringing back completely from the dead and getting a new body and never dying again at least for the believer that's the difference between the two now if you're in an ambulance and you've had cardiac arrest and they take the paddles and they put them on they say clear and they push those things and maybe your heart is just running away with the beats and you're really not dead something is just malfunctioning that's also called resuscitating but in this particular case they were stone cold dead when somebody dies the body immediately begins to lose heat and within hours rigor mortis sits in that was the case of the people the examples that i had given you like for instance lazarus Lazarus was not only dead, but I told you something about what Mary said. He stinketh. In other words, the body had started to rot at that time. And he was one that was resuscitated and he had to die again a second time. And then Patty said, well, wait a second. I thought scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and then face judgment. And here, these people are dying twice. What's the deal with that? Well, you know there are general rules that we can follow and then there are exceptions to the rule and god can make an exception to that rule at any time if you're one of the fortunate ones that dies and gets resuscitated and brought back again look at you you get to live some more of time here on earth and you might say well but i'm gonna die again yeah you're gonna die again But it's okay, especially if you're brought back to life to be a witness for Christ. Remember the people that came out of the graves when Jesus was crucified that I talked about last time? Those people, they showed up. Harry came to the door. Hey, let me in. It's my house. And the shock of the people that came through and they wanted to know, how is it you're alive? We buried you three years ago. How is it you're coming here? Well, they get to speak About what Jesus had done, or they connect it to the event of Jesus being crucified and dying at that time. And so it's all about being a witness. Now, going on in verse 9, Paul talks about his testimony here and how he was convinced he was stagnated in his belief he would not move whatsoever and he would not change what he believed he says I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth and that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests I put many of the saints in prison and when they were put to death I cast my vote against them Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So he was convinced that he needed to go after these people who confessed Christ. There are people today who will come after you if you confess Christ. Now, I showed you last week, Daryl put up on the screen there, the letter N, which is pronounced noon, which is what was used in 2014 in Mosul for the Christians. They would have that as a mark that they follow the N for Nazarene, which is Jesus the Nazarene. And they would have that as an identifying marker. Another marker that would identify the Christians back in the day of Jesus and Paul or actually Paul and beyond, is the igthus. The igthus is the fish. It's just a, a loop and another loop. And it, it was kind of code. They they could have used it as code. I heard some examples where they did, where they would one person would come up to another and they'd just sit there and they get a stick and they make the loop. Or half a loop. And the other person would come along and complete the loop. That's how they knew that they were believers and that was a sign between them and so there are signs that we can put out there to let people know that we are believers we don't want to be abrasive to those individuals we're trying to witness to but we certainly want to go out there and share our faith whenever we're given the opportunity now he continues in his testimony and he says on one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and, me, and my companions. We all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, if Daryl was here, I had already sent him this picture. I'm going to try to show you this picture here. And see if, uh, there we go. Can you guys see this? You see what that is? That's a goad. Now, it's a stick, and at the top of the stick is a hook. And on the end of that hook, it is very sharp. It will pierce your skin. If it's used against you, if somebody takes it and they leverage it against your body, it will cause you to bleed. I have seen this actually used on documentaries about the elephants in Asia. Uh, The Indians will take these goads and they'll get the elephant to do their bidding by hitting it, the elephant up behind the ears. Usually and it causes some bleeding and the elephant submits to the master using these goads. They, they are abused. Now there are different types of goads but this is the type that would have been Paul's reference point. Today um, there are different electric goads that they use for cattle to get them in a chute to go to slaughter and, or any type of animal like that if they need them in a particular place they can use a goad. There's battery-operated ones. I remember Slaughterhouse, they used one on a broomstick uh, that was plugged into the wall. And they had a nail on the end, and they used that on the cattle. And so Jesus is saying here, and that's why it's in Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. He turns to Paul, and he says, it must be hard to kick against the goads. So what he's saying there is, this goad is used against you, and you're stiffening up and saying, I will not comply. He was stubborn. He would not move forward or do what he knew to be right. That's why Jesus talked to him about this. Now, Paul knew that he was doing wrong even though he shouldn't. He had this on the inside. He he was letting his behaviors take over what his beliefs were. And then those behaviors ended up dominating his beliefs. That's what ended up happening. God allowed Paul during this time to experience a, like a psychological conflict or pain as a result of persecuting disciples of Jesus. He knew he shouldn't be doing it, but he did, anyhow. That's how Paul was kicking against the goats and he just stiffened his neck and that's what God called the Jews in the Old Testament you bunch of stiff-necked people they, they wouldn't bow their head down so to speak they wouldn't be in submission and God like I said called them stiff-necked and of course Paul was part of that lineage of the people the stiff-necked people now What Paul was experiencing here, there is a psychological term for this. Now, I'm I'm not going to give you a full lesson in psychology, but there is a psychological term that they have attributed to this where you do something wrong and you know it's wrong and you go ahead and do it and you try to convince yourself it's the right thing to do. This is called cognitive dissonance. And what happens is you have on the inside of your mind, this is what I should do. But yet, you have this conflict, this conflict that comes in and says, but I have to go do this dastardly deed or perform this task which I shouldn't do and I'm going to ding my conscience in order to do this. This is called cognitive dissonance. And when a person does that, they can become very Hard hearted. The number of times you stiffen your neck and you know, I'm not going to submit to that. On the inside, it causes pain. Now, what kind of pain does it cause when you know you're doing something wrong and you do it anyhow and you convince yourself this is the right thing to do? What happens on the inside is you get anxiety, you may experience embarrassment, regret sadness, shame, and stress. All of those things can take place on the inside when you do something you know you shouldn't be doing and you forget about that, you cover it over and say, no, I'm doing it anyhow. And this is Paul. This is where Paul was. Now, the people of the world make attempts to deal with these feelings. I can remember... 30 years ago, there was a bumper sticker, and if you've been with me this long, you'll remember that I mentioned it. But there was a bumper sticker that showed a wood screw. And the bumper sticker is about this long. It showed a wood screw on one side, and on the other side, the word guilt. So you know what it said? It said, screw guilt. Guilt can be bad. You can be under guilt all the time for what you have done, but Christ came to deliver us from guilt that he can take that sin, whatever it was, and wash it away. And the sin comes as a result, like I said, I'll probably say it several times, doing that which you ought not to do and you know it's wrong. And so the world says, forget about that. Just shove it to the side whenever it comes up on the inside and you have anxiety or stress over it. Just forget about it. Don't pay attention to it. When you do that, you run the risk of giving yourself fully to whatever deed it is that you know you you know you ought not to be doing. Now, I'm going to explain a little bit or try to explain a little bit how this is in our culture. And I want you to do this as I'm... Going through this. Now, how do you keep this from happening? How do you, as a believer, unbeliever, how do you keep these feelings of guilt from overtaking you? Well, in the culture, what the culture will do, what our culture will do, is adopt beliefs or ideas that justify or explain away the conflict in our minds. And, and so, what will happen is oftentimes you blame somebody else so you don't have to deal with your own sin you will project onto someone else this is always happening in the news you know, you, you just project something on someone else that you are already guilty of if you're an extremist you just call other extremists and therefore you assuage the guilt on the inside they're the ones that are to blame and so that's what people one of the ways that they'll deal with this anxiety and this regret and shame stress and sadness they'll say what but you're to to blame they'll go into what's called an ad hominem attack they will attack the individual instead of focus on the deed and calling it right or wrong so the blaming others can take place adopt other beliefs and They will hold to that belief and say that it's true. Convince themselves that it's true. And even in that, they know that it's wrong. But they do it to assuage the guilt, to get rid of the guilt. The second thing is hiding beliefs or behaviors from other people. In other words, you become a hypocrite. You know the good you ought to do. You don't do that. Of course, according to Scripture, James, the good we ought to do if we don't do it, for us it is sin. Well, people will hide their beliefs from others they will hide their behaviors from others so that they will not ever get a hint that they actually believe something else. They believe that it's wrong. And so they never reveal themselves. They never get close in relationships. They stay at a distance. Therefore, they are able to practice the dastardly deed, whatever it might be. Now, doing this helps to minimize the feelings of shame and guilt. Another way to minimize this is actually wear a mask, where you put a mask on because you don't want people to see you. Have you seen this in our culture that's out there? People put masks on, they put black hoodies on, they cover everything but their eyes, and then they go out and they loot, or they riot. Because they don't want to be exposed for what they're doing. That's bringing the light. God talks about this in his word. People don't like to come into the light because it will expose the dark deeds or the darkness. And so they hide in the darkness. They hide behind something. And this is what we do. Somebody who is... Uh, experiencing psychological problems, uh, especially women, what they'll do is they'll let the hair grow over their face because they feel ashamed or there's a regret. And they don't pull it out of their face. There is actually a kid's movie that demonstrated this. Uh, It was The Incredibles. Remember The Incredibles? If you saw that, the little girl that was in the family, she felt regret and shame for some reason and she kept her face covered with her hair. And then she came of age, so to speak, and her hair went back. And she was no longer wearing the mask. If you haven't seen that, it's a fun family movie. has no agenda in it. It's pretty good. You can watch it. But this idea that you cover over so that people can't see you, that is one way to express what you want to that is evil and not let anybody know who you really are or what you really believe. Now, one person wrote about this problem. They said, people like to believe that they are logically are logical, consistent, and good at making decisions. They don't want to be called out for the wrong that they're doing. Cognitive dissidence can interfere with the perceptions they hold about themselves and their abilities, which is why it can often feel so uncomfortable and unpleasant. To reiterate what is here, it doesn't feel good to do wrong when you know it's wrong. That's what that paragraph said. And, and the Lord wants us to do right. And the Holy Spirit comes along just like he came along with Paul and Paul was kicking against the goads of his intuition and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and still persecuting Christians. He was being stiff-necked. Now, again, let's transfer this to our culture a little bit. Those who do wrong blame others to justify their actions. They make someone else the villain. Now, in our world, in our society today, if you had to point to a villain, and I expect an answer, who are the villains today? I hear mumbling. Come on, you can speak up. Who are the villains today? No, the politicians are the ones that are pointing. The, the ones today that are the villains on a worldwide scale, today it's Jews. Jews are the villains today. Guess who else is the villain? The Christians. Christians are villains. If you're watching what's taking place around the world, those two are right at the top. Why? Because the world hates the Jews, hates the Christians, hates anybody who holds to those belief? So if you go into politics, who's hated? Those who hold to the beliefs of the Bible and express it through their political views. They're hated. They are extremists. That's what people do who are suffering under this cognitive dissonance. They blame others to justify their own actions. And Paul, the leader of the Jews, He was blamed for the problems. Remember, this is why he's on trial. He's on trial because they said, you're the troublemaker. You're the one that's saying not to bow to Caesar. You're the one that's saying there's another king out there. You are wrong. And now they know that this is wrong unless their conscience is completely seared. But Paul was also blamed at that time. And then the wearing of the mask to cover up shame, anxiety, regret, and stress. Antifa, the riots, the looting back in 2020 and 2021. There were also white nationalists that covered their face. There were black activists and there were terrorists. Now, were there others that would do this? Yes, they would They would just cover up. They would not let themselves be seen. And they wear these masks. And you know what really gets me, and I'm sure Patty has heard me say this, is when some rule comes down, From some authority, it could be government, it could be school, it it could be uh, fire, it, it could be anyone who is out there, police. They make these decisions and then they say, Well, the Sheriff's Association made this decision. Well, the school board made this decision. Well, the union made this decision. Well, the grand jury made this decision. I promise you, the library made this decision. Who on those groups was the one pushing for it? That's what I want to know. I want to know who the individual is. They hide behind the screen of the organization because they don't want to be revealed for the wrong that they are perpetrating. I mean, who is out there saying the kids, the K through 12, need to have these pornography books inside the libraries? Who are the ones that are pushing for that? Who are they? What are are their names? If you find out their names, regret and shame comes. So what they do is they hide behind this group. You know, it could be People for the American Way or whatever it is out there. And that's what happens. We join the group so we don't have to be held accountable. Nobody can see what we really believe. You know, you, you can throw this into all types of groups, but usually it's one or two people that are influencing the group to make this decision and yet they hide like putting on a mask. So you can't tell who they are. And I tell Patty, who made the decision? Who is the one that's pushing for this? I remember uh, being at a school board meeting for the Grossmont School District and they were voting on uh, medical care for the partners of gay individuals. And I've mentioned this one before. It was a raucous meeting. I mean, just totally. But the people up front, you know who voted for what. And you, you could put the blame squarely on them. Gary Cass used to be a pastor in Santee. He was up there. And he said, no, absolutely not. And then the other guys that were out there said, yes, we're going to vote yes. It's the right thing to do, quote unquote. <clears throat> and, and so you got to see who was making the decision. But I don't think it was widely reported. It came out that the school board decided, you know, because of this vote. So they wear masks to cover up shame, anxiety, regret, and stress. They hide. Thirdly, suppress information contrary to a personal belief system. They will keep information being disseminated that would convict them of the wrong they are perpetrating. Who does this? Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the tech giants. They don't want you to see what is actually the truth that is out there. We had this with the covid you know doing all of that and and did you see the latest on x that is out there formerly known as twitter now maybe some of you most of you know who alex jones is i'm not (laughs) saying oh he's a wonderful no the guy has done some bad stuff but elon musk said well i'm going to let the people decide if he needs to be on twitter or x i'm not going to make that decision Other people's hair just went on fire. Like, how dare you let him speak on that platform? You should not be doing that. And all types of bad press was directed towards Elon. They don't want, if he has any truth to say, they don't want the truth out there. I know several other people... Uh, the Berenson guy who came out against some of the COVID stuff that the government was doing, they took him off Twitter. They didn't let him speak anywhere. He was on Substack, and he would give the information there. And even that, they were getting angry over. They don't want the information out there. And this is happening virtually everywhere. If you get on a computer, you can't hardly find what you want to find. Some of the subjects that I've wanted to look up, I, I don't use Google. They're they're just a surveillance company. I'll go to other search engines, and on those search engines, I'll ask questions. And, of course, if you go on Google and do it, you get every single left-wing site before you get anything that resembles the truth. Whether it's Snopes or NBC or CBS or CNN or Reuters or AP, whoever it might be, that's who you get first. Or the Guardian, that's another a place you can go to for leftist information. And it's this idea that the information is not going to go out there. What did the Jews, the Sadducees want to do here? They wanted to suppress the truth about Paul. They didn't want it coming out. They wanted to argue over what was right and what was wrong. They, they didn't want the wrong being exposed. They wanted to go over and cover over the right. That's what was taking place in the trial. And so whether it's media, tech giants, uh, people in these groups or test in universities. Did you see what happened in the universities of Pennsylvania this last week? The president of a university usually is in charge of fundraising. And there was, uh, I think, Blackburn, I think, was the congresswoman who was questioning this particular president of the University of Pennsylvania. Would she call uh, the things that Hamas are doing according to their harassment protocols at University of Pennsylvania, would you call, would you condemn what Hamas has done? And she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it. And it just went all over the media and she resigned yesterday because she got so much heat for not coming out and saying what they did was wrong. And, and that's what has to happen is the person is exposed for what they believe. And why are they doing that? I found out from Patty this morning, and of course I I trust my wife. She said that Hamas is actually funding some of these schools. It's like, well, we know that China is. China is funding the universities, and so the universities are reluctant to speak out against China. What about the big corporations? you think Apple is going to speak against China? It's not going to happen. Now, see and I think this is necessary, where I take the scriptures, I take a story in the scripture, I explain what's going on, like for example, with Paul, what's taking place around him, and saying, okay, are those same circumstances in our culture today? That's what we always have to do. That's the application. First we have to recognize what happened to Paul, then we recognize if that same thing is happening here, then we have to take a course of action we called to do something as a result of that. Now, I digress. I've explained this in the context of the Apostle Paul and persecuting Christians. Knowing that his actions were wrong, he felt guilt. He surrounded himself with individuals who agreed to encourage this persecution. Letters from the chief priests and the approval of the elders, he went out and persecuted. So he gathered around people. You know, Scripture talks about this in the end times, people will seek out those who tickle their ears. They will have itching ears. They will say what they, the the speakers will say what the people want to hear, and they'll gravitate towards those people. They will only gravitate towards those people who affirm what they believe, even if it's wrong. They will congregate together. Now, once his beliefs were enforced, it influenced his actions. So if people came along like the chief priest said, you need to go out and do this, Paul. And Paul said, oh, he's a person in authority. Of course, he's the high priest. He's the one anointed by God. He's telling me I need to go out and do this. So he fell into error because of the influence of others. And that's what those who go through this cognitive dissonance do. They gather around themselves, others who will reinforce the the actions that they carry out, and then the beliefs follow behind it. For us, our beliefs need to reign supreme, then that goes to the action. But for most people who are on this side of the world, or that side of the world, they will carry out the action and seek a way to justify it by either wearing the mask or bringing people around them that are in authority that will give them credence that will tell them you're, what you're doing is right and good there's veracity and truthfulness to it you see how this works You see how it was working with Paul now we know what is right and wrong how cuz it's written on our hearts scripture says this Romans chapter 2 verse 14 Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So God tells us, We know what's right and wrong. God wrote it on our hearts. I mean, if a child's being abused, we say, no, that's wrong. If somebody is being killed, we know that's wrong. If somebody is stealing something, no, that's wrong. If there's looting going on, we say, no, that's wrong. But yet, people still do it, and they hide, and they assuage the guilt by everything that I've just told you. Now, the world's remedy for this cognitive dissonance because the guilt is on the inside, how do I get rid of it? And what they do is, number one, they'll add more beliefs to reinforce currently held opinions so that it seems to carry more weight. So if you are in one particular camp, you will bring in other camps to reinforce you and their views become your views as well. And so you spread yourself out over these differing views. Now, I don't like to be too political, but I'm very concerned about the culture with what we're going through here. Now, a name that you might recognize, Greta Thunberg. You know who she is? Okay, what, what's her moniker? What is she... Climate change. You've robbed my childhood, or something she says like that, right? What does she just shift to? The Palestinian cause. What does climate change have to do with the Palestinian cause? And she brought that in. Okay, now that's part of her moniker too. And all these different groups like that, extremist groups, they bring each other in and they hunker down. They circle the wagon, so to speak. And so that's what these individuals will do. will bring in other beliefs to reinforce what they currently hold. They won't pay attention to what's right and wrong. They won't want to debate that. Just don't bother me with the facts. Let's just bring in these other groups and they'll reinforce me. Now, for instance, in scripture, one of the reasons the wrath of God is coming that's named in scripture is sexual immorality. That's one of the reasons it's coming. Actually, it's named as number one in a list. So if you see that, but as an individual, somebody wants to sleep with someone and move in with someone, what can they do to assuage the guilt, to get rid of the cognitive dissonance? You can take on other groups and you can say, this is okay because love is love. Have you heard that? It doesn't matter who you love. You can love anybody. And so they'll take the sexual immorality, which is fornication and adultery, and they'll broaden the scope. And the scope will be, well, if two people love each other, why not have gay marriage? That's okay. You can do that. And instead of addressing the sexual immorality, they'll say, no, this is love. Or polyamory or or pornography in the schools or transgenderism—it are blurring the genders. That women can become men and men can become women, but they can't define either one when you're asking them. You know, so that's what happens. Is they bring all of those things into one group and say, "See, it's just love." And now there's a gay version of the Bible that is out there, and it has rainbow colors on the front. And say, like, "What are we doing?" And, and they're doing that. As a way of assuaging the guilt. Now the more people, the more events, the bigger the group, the more it shapes our actions and strengthens our theories and opinions. That's what happens. That's why people get together and they conspire. How they can carry out the dastardly deeds or beliefs and they strategize how to do it. Scripture tells us this. That's what the evil do. The wicked at night lay up. So they stay up at night to think about ways of doing evil and they attack those who will not participate in those uh, dastardly deeds. Now, I know that the Bible says that sexual immorality is wrong, but we're talking about love. That's the final point on that. One of the things in California, again, I'm going to culture here. Just as a side note, marijuana has become legal in the state several other states federally it's still illegal they could arrest you for marijuana but now in the state of California if somebody is a regular marijuana user there's, there's problems with that there's psychotic episodes that people experience they're being uh, going into the emergency rooms because they're experiencing these things it's very difficult one woman she ate one of the edibles a full candy bar and you're only supposed to eat just a little bit and she was having a psychotic episode she ate the whole thing And as a result, she thought she was going crazy. She thought she was going to die. And it'd take her several hours to get through that. She couldn't believe what she had done. And so it causes problems. And the effects of that THC, it remained with you. It's in your system. It's in your hair. It's in your brain. It stays there, and it slows down cognition inside of your brain. The frontal lobes are are affected. The frontal lobes is where we make our decisions. It's the decision-making capability is located in the front. That's why they had the lobotomies, you know, where they would take away that uh, rebelliousness because you didn't have the ability to make a decision. That's what they would do. Well, California just passed a law that you cannot fire somebody because of marijuana use on their own time. And they're not taking into account if you are addicted to marijuana, not talking about the other drugs, but a marijuana Your cognition is going to be truncated. You cannot make good decisions if you're doing that. The whole state of Colorado and California are going to have a whole generation of people that don't know how to make a decision. And they get in your job and you're doing drug testing and they get tested for marijuana. You could previously fire them. As of January 1st, you cannot. You cannot fire them. And what if you're in a dangerous occupation? What if you're working on highline poles? And you're up there and you're getting rid of the electricity 10,000 to 40,000 volts, and you've been smoking all weekend, and you come in and your cognition is not very good. People will die because of this. What? The wisdom? Like, who made this decision? Who in Congress or who in the Assembly decided to do this? You see how this works? And then it's just put out there, and this is the direction we're going, and that's the way of the world, and it is evil. And what was happening to Paul was just outright evil evil was taking place this last week i had a chance to witness again a couple of chances uh, by the way i invited somebody to the christmas eve service i think you ought to do that as well i just especially those people who are downtrodden those people who need a little help, ask them but i got to witness this last week to somebody and it was dealing with business and <clears throat> then all of a sudden they stopped and said can i ask you a question i said yeah they no I'm a pastor do you know what's going on with Hamas in fact I do I do know what's going on with Hamas and he just started to explain something that was the most heinous crime and he was incredulous his mouth was open and his eyebrows were high like do you believe yeah and they're blaming Israel They're the perpetrators. And so I I told this person, I said, this is evil. That's what this is. And I've been witnessing to this person for a while. And the evil, they're trying to hide that evil. But there's one guy that I talked to who's like, wait, this is really bad. And it's wonderful to come to that type of recognition. Now also, in order to maintain this cognitive dissonance without having trouble on the inside the anxiety you reduce the importance of beliefs that conflict with your own actions in other words that which you know that is true that is absolutely true you say that's ah, not that important this is more important like in the example of love is love you can marry who you want to you can marry two or three people if you want to that's polyamory well, you have to take the beliefs that are in Scripture and put them to the side. Again, the Sadducees did this with the resurrection. There is no resurrection because we want to have our own ability to sin and not be held accountable before any God. So they say, there is no resurrection, so we're not going to worry about it. They convinced themselves that that's the way it was. Or the third thing is, change your belief system. Yeah, I don't believe that anymore. There are, since I've been a believer since... 1979 I've run across individuals who said yeah yeah Christianity was a part of my life for a while but then I gave it up I'm more enlightened now you know there's there's things that I believe now that I didn't believe before and they changed their belief system in order to accommodate what their actions were God doesn't want us to do that now if we do if we continue down this road Remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh was one who had his heart hardened by God. All God did was pull back and let him give him, he gave him the ability to go full force into what he believed. So for us, what do we do? How do we keep from falling into cognitive dissonance where we just continue to do what's wrong and we know it's wrong but we don't want people to see. We hide behind others. We blame it on the group rather than ourselves. Well, the first one is you need to know what you believe. Plain and simple. You need to know what Scripture has to say, what is in God's Word. And you need to learn to interpret the Scripture. Not eisegete but exegete. eisegete is where I believe homosexuality and marriage is okay. And that's that square peg, and you say, I'm going to force it into Scripture. That's a round hole. Jesus would have loved them and accepted them. That's not what scripture says. And it's only those, not those who are struggling with it to try to get out. It's for those who say, this is right, I can do it, and I can teach it to everybody else. That's the person that the scripture is talking about. The person who's struggling with it, God has lots of mercy, I believe, for that individual. Now, also when it comes to areas that we disagree on like child rearing marriage roles business and personal relationships responsibilities and home church and society some of that's gray areas but there are essentials that we do not mitigate from that we do not turn our backs on Uh, for instance the um, the ones that we hold to Virgin birth deity of Jesus Christ, the Trinity, the church is the bride of Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, those things, those last two, we can say, okay, they're not essentials, but the others are definitely essentials, and we will not have fellowship with anybody who says to the contrary. Secondly, be in fellowship. The reason you're in fellowship is so you can bounce off the ideas with other people. If you're out there just a lone survivor, you're going to go off because that's the tendency of the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? There is no cure for your heart. And given your own devices, you will run roughshod over anything that is right. And then thirdly, repent of those practices and beliefs that are contrary to biblical orthodoxy. What the Bible says... Don't run contrary to that. Now, that's the challenge, isn't it? When the Bible says, don't do something, and you say, well, I'm going to do it anyhow. All of us have that propensity on the inside. Fourth, be dogmatic in the essentials and flexible in the non-essentials, which I already brought up. There's dogmatism and there's flexibility. I already told you what to be dogmatic on, Trinity, Virgin, Birth, Theity of Christ, Resurrection. Flexible on, two subjects to bring to the forefront days of creation and also what day Jesus was crucified now I'm running over on time and it's okay just relax that's gonna be just fine the days of creation is it a little 24-hour day was the earth and everything created in six days or is there something different You know, I listen to all kinds of people on this particular subject. I I want something to hold on to, to grip. And it's okay, I gotta say this carefully. It is okay to hold to one view or another. Now, there's people on both sides. I love them both. I have my particular views, but I love these two views, the people who hold them. I love them, they are great. One person I just listened to last week, John Lennox. I don't know if you know who John Lennox is, but he is a mathematician. He is a smart guy. He's at Oxford. I think he's retired from Oxford as a mathematician. And he was talking about uh, the book of Genesis. And he was saying, how long is the seventh day in Scripture? It's called a day. It's still going. The day is still going. And he talked to some Hebrew scholars and he said that the first day is also not a 24-hour day even though it says evening and morning based on the construction in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. And I'm listening to that i have gone, well, you know, but there's arguments against that. And then you listen to the other side and they say, absolutely not. It takes away the foundation of the earth. And if you do take away the foundation of the earth, you take the foundation of the Bible away and therefore people are being led astray and they're going to hell wait, hold on a second, you know. Does it really matter in the scheme of things as far as salvation is concerned? Is somebody not going to get saved because they believe a particular thing about the age of the earth? I don't think that's going to prevent them. The thing that we need to take to them is, you're a sinner, you need to be saved with your grace, confess Jesus Christ, that's what gets you saved. Now, me even saying that is going to cause hair to raise on the back of both sides. One side that's a creationist is just going to say, how dare you distort the word of God? And the guys on the other side that are old age people, they're going to say, how dare you be so intellectually vacant? It's like, I'm just not going to argue about it. I have no dogmatism on it. I have my beliefs. I believe it's six days. Yeah, that, that's what I hold to but I'm not going to sit there and pound somebody over the head because of that because there are s- such good arguments on both sides and I haven't been able to rectify it and I've talked to them I, at these pastor's conferences I've talked to a couple of people who teach this stuff oh, okay that's great Yeah, and I walk away going yeah six days and then I talk to some other people that are older than, oh yeah that sounds great oh wow I, th- I think I might be old universe but young earth I I don't know if that can work out and and so I have questions that can't be answered we can't be dogmatic on that stuff and we're not going to solve it I promise you this argument will not be solved and it will only cause division but if it's the Trinity if it's the Bible stick to that do not change do not be movable be immovable in that another one what day was Jesus crucified on was it Friday? Was it Thursday? Was it Wednesday? I know people in the church that I've talked to that said, it's definitely Wednesday. Because you need three full days. And then other people say, no, it's Friday. And I've listened to both sides, scholars talk about this. And I go, Oi, I'm not going to solve that problem. The point is, Jesus died, right? For our sins. And we can spend all day, we can talk about it, that's fine, have a discussion, that's all well and good. But we're not going to convince somebody when the evidence is on both sides. And it's like, the servant of the Lord must not argue. That's what it comes down to. And when we get up to heaven, the Lord is going to fix this. He is going to tell us what's right and wrong. Now, please, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. Just keep coming to church. It'll happen again. You know, it's this idea. We can hold these views and it's okay. They're not the essentials. If I don't believe in a six-day creation, I'm not going to lose my salvation. I'm not going to not come to Christ. God knows how to save us. He knows how to do that. And we waste our time and the enemy gets right in there. So when it comes to these non-essentials, be congenial. Just go, okay, you can hold that. And if you want to come up afterwards and say, you shouldn't do that. Okay, I agree. I probably shouldn't do that. I should probably be more solidified on my view. So the last one is, have an attitude of humility before Jesus. If there's some point where you have this cognitive dissonance, you're doing something you know that is wrong and you know you ought not to be doing it and you're dealing with it, you go to Jesus like the tax collector in the Gospel of Luke. You beat your chest and say, God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. I'm trying and I ask that you would restore me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Renew a right spirit in me. David prayed at that point. That's what we need to do. Now it's tough. This is a tough thing and we're living through this and there are Christians who are going the wrong direction and we need to gently encourage them to be in the scriptures, see what the scriptures have to say, what's right, what's wrong and hold to that. And that's our job to combat the wokeism, the DEI, the the intersectionality, all of that stuff that is out there meant to water down the Christian faith. And we need to stand strong for it. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. And I, I would ask, Lord, that on those issues that we are not clear on, I pray that you would bring clarity. On issues that we could even be wrong on, I pray that you would give us a heart of humility. I also pray Lord that you would help us to open our mouths and be witnesses especially during this time of year when Jesus was born or at least we celebrate that. May people come to faith and salvation by you using us. In Jesus name we pray and the church send. Please stand as we sing our closing song.